Welcome to the Draw Shops Get Genius Podcast, where we talk to today's business influencers to pick their brain and pull out their genius. It's time to get genius. Hello, listeners. Today, we are talking with Blake Eastman. He is the owner of the nonverbal group, Beyond Tells and School of Cards. That's three different companies. Today we're focusing on nonverbal communication. And uh, a lot of you might be thinking, is that just body language? Well, according to Blake, no, it's not just body language. Um, so many of us have been taught what body language is and how you're supposed to use it in a very kind of um, <laughs> rehearsed way. And Blake is, is here to say that that's not natural, that's not authentic, and it's actually dangerous for you. So we talk all about nonverbal communication and how it's going to help your overall communication in just about every area of your life, including business, public speaking, um, even dating. So um, I'm excited for you to hear um, Blake's story. He's had a lifelong passion actually for nonverbal communication and uh, it's what led him to begin formal research in graduate school. He's also had success as a professional poker player, which actually placed him in the financial position to fund his own research on this nonverbal communication. He, he talks about this in the, in the interview, so I'm just going to give a, a brief um, overview. But he wanted to throw out all of that academic red tape and, and grant approvals and everything aside so that he could learn about this growing topic on his own and he first saw you know what the with the nature of the dating scene was like then he started to tape first dates set up blind dates um, conducted interviews and just started to really observe what happens at bars like what's the activity look like and it was in this world that he learned so much about dating about body communication and, and attraction. And obviously, like coming out of that, it became so clear to him. Poor daters had poor body language. <laughs> they didn't understand how to, how to be themselves. And um, they were projecting the wrong image and not one that was really authentically themselves. And this is when, uh, in about 2009, he founded the nonverbal group. And this was to help people get a better understanding of, of communicating without words and with their body. And uh, this has spilled over into the way that he runs his businesses and um, so many, so many different causes for his clients. I think it started with speakers and then it went into coaching executives, which really led to them needing to figure out how to do relationships better and dating better. So it's, it's pretty intriguing. A lot of um, myths, I think, will we'll get debunked for you in this interview. Um, and there's some, there's some advice not worth taking that he tells us about and some advice that may be worth taking depending on who you are as an individual. I'm always fascinated by different perceptions and uh, like to have an open mind on a different way of doing something. So I hope that you will as well as you enjoy this interview. Hi, Blake, and welcome to the podcast. Great to have, great to have me here. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> awesome. So um, I'm really, I'm really uh, ready and intrigued about what you do and you sharing this with our audience. Um, and I, I say a little bit about it in the intro, but um, can we talk about where you were before you started the nonverbal group? Because we're going to be talking a lot about um, nonverbal communication, and I'm so curious as to how this became something that you were fascinated by and wanted to really research. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was like a combination of things for the most part. I guess it really started in graduate school. So one of the things, if any of you listening has ever done any academic research, there's a lot like research is cool and observational studies and, you know, focusing on behavior and drawing insights from that. It's it's very cool. But the problem is academia is set up in a way where it's really a pain in the ass to actually get the research done. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of red tapes. You have like, uh, institutional review boards called IRBs and you need grants and you need all this stuff. And I think one of the things I was most frustrated by is I wanted to do something and I asked one of my thesis advisors like if I could do this and they're like, you need to apply for a grant. And I was like, well, can I pay for it out of pocket? And they're like, not really. Like you need to apply for a grant. And I'm like, well, it's kind of ridiculous. I need to apply for a grant if I have the money to fund my own study. And it was just kind of like you, you get met with so much red tape and that is exactly what I was experiencing in grad school. So it kind of it, it led me to want to do the same things that I wanted to do, but for my own purposes. So right. I basically was doing good with poker, and I, own, I I opened up the first poker school in New York City called School of Cards. And then I used some of my poker money and some of the money from School of Cards to start doing research. And we would basically like rent out restaurants and put people on uh, blind dates and record their behavior and. And that's kind of how it started. So it's, it's, it started out of like a frustration with the red tape and academic research and then also just my own passions and interests. That's awesome. Okay. So what is it that nonverbal group does? So, I mean, we've definitely evolved over the past six or seven years. So we're basically a behavioral research company that has sort of two aspects to it. First is like research and the second is development and training. So for example, like on the research side, we just completed the second version of our largest behavioral study on poker players. So we had players come in the office and play for a hundred plus hours and we record them from every single angle. And then we take all that data and put it into a massive database and look for insights to help understand how to read players' behavior better at the poker table. And so that's like the two aspects. Like, so we take a large data set, we research it, we develop frameworks for approach, and then we teach it. And that's the problem with a lot of like body language or, I mean, I, I personally hate the term body, like the words body and language, because it, it was basically a book in the 1950s that somehow picked up. And it's, it's all very uniform advice. Like you should do this, you should do that. Uh, you know, smile when you walk into a room and, and it's just not done in a way that's intelligent and not done in a way that's helpful. Like a lot of people don't understand that a lot of the simple advice is actually more harmful. And I think that was the coolest opportunity of nonverbal group is I was, you know, doing research, but I was also coaching. So I would be, work with a client and I'd be like, all right, let's, let's work on these things. And then they look completely weird and it's like, wow, like this advice doesn't apply to everybody. And just developing flex, flexible and adaptive frameworks for really reading behavior. And I don't believe that many people do that. They teach kind of X means Y. If somebody does this, that means that, or never do this when you walk in a room. We teach way more robust methods for approach. 
Oh, that is so interesting. So like when you say some of the simple advice that used to be given is harmful, what are, what are like three of those? Like, like just telling someone to smile more, right? So telling someone to smile more or telling someone to smile when they first walk into a room. Like the problem is smiles, the morphology or the way it, it kind of forms on the face. There's so many different variations of a smile. And if you tell someone who's slightly anxious to smile, they don't look genuine. They look like someone who's anxious smiling. And then the other, you know, we're not saying like, oh, the timing of that person smiles off. We're just saying weird. Like there's something weird about that person. Yeah. And I've seen so much advice you know, make eye contact and they make a hundred percent eye contact or something like that. So it's really not good. It's really not good, uh, to do that kind of, uh, dynamic. What about some of the things like people say, you know, if you're leaning forward or if you're sitting in a chair, you should lean back in the chair because then you're going to, you know, come off as more grounded or this yeah, or that. Stuff, stuff like that. I can't stand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, make sure you lean back. It's like, make sure you lean back in a chair and then it's another paragraph and a half after. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, totally, it's like, totally. make sure you, yeah, with like so many other variables and so many other considerations and that's what's get, that's what people just love the quick fixes. They don't understand the quick fixes are, um, they can be quick fixes that seem like a fix because now you had some expert tell you that this is the right thing to do. But in reality, it's very dangerous. Yeah. That's so interesting. And how, how is it dangerous? Well, it's dangerous because then you start, first, you start applying the information that you perceive to be good and it's not good. So your, your perception of how things are being registered aren't, isn't right. So you think that you're projecting this calm, cool demeanor when you really just look like nervous or anxious or uncomfortable and so on and so forth. So like, let's give the example of going into a meeting, mm -hmm. you know, like play how it could go terribly wrong and how it could oh, okay. actually go well. <laughs> so like, for example, like if you tell someone to, all right, the first time you enter a room, you need to smile, right? So the person's like about to walk into the room and they start to, all right, make sure that I smile. And as soon as they walk in, they smile and they hold their smile for like two to three seconds. And then everybody in the room is not saying, oh, wow, that's an open, genuine person. That per They're saying like, oh, that's a fake smile. Now, they're not registering it as fake, but it's, it's creating a perception, right? And it's like, you know, it's something I don't, I, there's something I don't like about this person. So right there from that one piece of advice when you walk into the room and you're a little bit anxious and you smile, right there you start, things are working against you because people have this certain perception of you. And then you sit down and then maybe you, uh, you know, I don't know, people fold your arms on the table to proceed confidence, but you're really still which creates a, creates a deep, like there's this thing called cognitive overload, which when basically when you're overloaded with the task, like let's say I have you do like a really long, you know, math problem, like blink rate and certain behaviors uh, decrease. And I see the same thing sometimes in people that are like hyper stressed and hyper nervous about performing a certain way. So they're trying to run through all the steps like, okay, walk in, keep your head straight, sit down, put your hands on the table and look confident. And they're so focused on that that it creates this like massive decrease in movement and it makes them look really, 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 really weird. Yeah, totally. So um, yeah, no, keep going. No. And, and, and that's the kind of thing that, uh, you see quite a bit. And that's, that's the whole joke about it all is like, you're like, Oh, like how do you read behavior? So the easiest time to read somebody is when they're like projecting something or like we say their filters are up. So if somebody's fully comfortable and engaged and happy and they're like, what's going on here? I'm like, all right, they're fully comfortable, engaged and happy. Like there's nothing much to say about that. Yeah. What really becomes 
interesting is that people don't realize it, but their behavior shows more of what they don't want people to see than what they do want them to see. It's an interesting thing. So what, what advice do you have for people that are nervous and they're, some of them have been taught to do these things to take, take away from the nerves, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it yeah, like uh, make sure you do this. To, I, at the end of the day, I'm one of these people that like I'm very I'm, – I understand research and I understand good information and bad information. But I believe advice is highly subjective towards an individual. Mm-hmm. So some, some people believe that you know, they can power pose or do whatever the hell they want and, and that's going to make them feel better, which is a result going to make their anxiety decrease, which is a result going to make them more themselves and it works. So I'm a fan of advocating like really quote unquote work, what works for you and testing a bunch of different things and trying a, a, a wide range of solutions. The, the biggest piece or the strongest piece of advice I can give is videotaping yourself. So most people have no idea what they actually look like in a given space. Yeah. So we use behavior as a method. See, that's how we speed things up. So let's say we have an awkward person. Awkward person comes in. They're really awkward. They don't even know why they're awkward, but everybody tells them awkward. So we record them on video. We show them what it what it is to be awkward. And then they start to see, oh, that's why it's awkward. And then I work them through a bunch of exercises and a bunch of different things to get them to see, oh, wow, like I don't actually look bad in this video. And I'm like, yeah, you see, you have the potential of being fine. And once they see that, they kind of develop the confidence to move forward. What are some of those um, exercises you take them through? Yeah, well, first, we, we primarily start on thoughts. Like, so the whole notion of behavior being something that's secular from the rest of, you know, your, your experience as a person is also ridiculous. Like, meaning you never want to just tackle a behavior. You want to tackle the underlying thoughts behind the behavior, the underlying motivation behind the behavior, like a oh, way more. So usually I start with, with thoughts. So I like work with clients that, uh, I mean, my favorite statement is no one cares about you. <laughs> so that's like my favorite thing to say in, in life. And, and it's true. People overestimate them that at which they matter. So like you walk into a room and you think that your speech is going to be so important, but the reality is no one really gives a shit. Like people are going to watch it and it's going to go away. Like if I completely bomb this podcast, what's going to happen? People are just going to stop listening to it. They're not going to be like, Oh, let me Google and go on every review site and tell them how Blake had a horrible, like it's, it's not the case. So sometimes people just put so much emphasis on a situation mattering when it doesn't. And sometimes I'll attack that. Sometimes people have like actual, real concerns like if you know if they lose their job if they don't do well on this they'll lose their job and then i'm like all right what happens if you lose your job and i just always try to keep things in perspective for them from a thought perspective it's just because social interactions have been you know there's like there's not somebody with a gun in the room like all that's going to happen is that you're not going to get a good review maybe you won't get that rate maybe you won't all right so what like move on like it's really not that serious and i know it sounds easy in application but having a conversation with somebody like 30 or 40 minutes or 45 minutes, they start to embody that. And then we've built out like behavioral conditioning software where people get text messaged throughout the day at random intervals, you know, reminding them of these things and having them do tasks that help reinforce these bigger picture uh, shifts or changes in their behavior. So that's usually the first level is just thoughts. Yeah. And then I start to, like once you deal with thoughts, behavior is easy. It's, it's interesting, but it's, it's so true. Like changing behavior takes seconds, like physical behavior. Right. But actually changing like pattern behavioral mindset, that stuff takes a little bit more time. So, you know, and they, there's, there's the one saying that it, it begins with thought and then there's some that have the, you know, just start 
faking it, just start smiling, and then the the feeling will yeah, follow. Yeah, the problem is if it doesn't, it, it's it's attacking them all at once. Like, yeah, that's the whole thing. Okay, you could, you know, for example, like <clears throat> go to a conference or something like that, and you know, you'll get one of these people that'll make you stand up and like, all right, everybody, get up and let's jump and let's jump up and down and let's sing and let's move our body and let's bring movement into our space and so on and so forth. And yeah, for like 30 or 40% of the, of the room, everybody feels good. But there's also a, a, a nice 30% of people who are just standing there awkward and it's not doing anything for them. Right. So it's not like this behavioral uh, shift in behavior is automatic. You need to attack it from every angle as possible in order to really make it work. How, how have you seen this affect other people and in, their, in their lives? Like what areas of their lives are you seeing changed? I mean, everywhere. It, communication is one of those things. <clears throat> the only thing is presentations. It's the only like it's the only area of communication that stays separated from everything else. So I've seen people be able to walk in and, and work a room and kill it and be very social and affable people. And then on a stage, they just frame, they freeze up. Uh, and part of the reason is because people think presentations are a different level of communication when in reality it's just a conversation where one person is talking and the other person's not. It's really not that much of a difference. As soon as you see that, it lowers anxiety. But mm -hmm. usually, like if I work with somebody on interviews, they become better at dating. They be like it's a cross skill set. Like it's not yeah. just communication for dating. It's it's across the board. So, in the example of dating, <laughs> hmm. how you know what is? I'm trying to like. It's like I want to see this. You know what I mean? <laughs> I want to see it in action and see what you do because I'm so intrigued by it. Like people have these, like you said, preconceived notions of this is how I have to act. This is what I should do. How do you, have you coached somebody who was using this for relationships or dating? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've coached so many people. I mean, sometimes, sometimes that's one of the weird things is that, uh, you know, they come in for one thing, but really like executives, especially like I'll be under their executive budget, but they want to work on dating stuff. It's like interesting how people... <laughs> Uh, want to work on a wide range of skill sets. I mean, it's all your, it's all inherent motivation, right? Like if you're really lonely and you want to meet somebody that really works well for you, you're probably more willing to take the steps necessary in order to improve your communication. I mean, dating always st starts with thoughts too. It's kind of like, you know, I used to teach this dating class and I'd always get one person in each class where it's like they raise their hand. Like, Listen, I've been on, I've been on 12 or 15 dates this past year, you know, none of them have worked out like what's going on like I just can't find the right guy I was like yeah you know you or can't find the right girl and I was like you're the, you're the problem right like it's not it's nothing to do with 14 or 15 people like you're either choosing the wrong person or you're bringing into it something that's not making it work because that's a lot of people yeah right and then like usually I'll find stuff like all right so let me ask you a question out of those 15 people how many of them were you really genuinely attracted to and they like kind of freeze and they're like what's the answer? And they're like one person. So it's like, basically you went on like 14 meetings and one actual date and you're telling me you're trying so hard when you're not really trying at all. Um, and we see stuff like that. Right? So like thought based things that affect behaviors in a way where people kind of self sabotage. I mean, yeah. the reality is dating is a, is an absolute shit show for most people because they don't, <laughs> they just don't have the underlying communication methods to deal in life. Right. So like, you're on a date and somebody says something offensive and they don't know how to handle that. And, and it's like, why is this different than anything else? Like, 
it's just a, we're not taught these skill sets at a higher level. We're taught at a very basic level how to communicate. And the problem is we live in this incredible step one, step two, step three bullshit culture right now. Yeah. And that's that communication or dating or relationships or any kind of dynamic is so fluid that you need to take a framework based approach with a lot more work and a lot more time and a lot more effort. But once you get it, it's it's highly effective. Um and it's just to be honest. I know it sounds corny, but the reality is, it's just like being yourself, and it, the whole thing is like every be your authentic self. It's like the most, you know, uh, overused catchphrase. Uh, but it's very true. Like, right, right. The, the I mean, version, most most of these catchphrases that have come about is because they are true. There's so much truth to yeah, them. But yes, yeah. There's like, a lot of truth to that statement. So, do you, when people come to work with you, how are they on their verbal communication? Sometimes they're horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so they really kind of go, like, would you say they go hand in hand? Or have you worked with somebody who's like, wow, they're really great on the on the phone. They're great, you know, in, with writing. But then in person, things kind of. If, if, all right. So every once in a while, I'll get somebody that's great on the phone. And in person, they might have one or two little weird things. Those are easy fixes. Like, that's not hard. Like, yeah. if you, like, fidget or if you slouch or something like that and you but you are a confident and powerful person and that's just a pattern of behavior that's left over from the past like very quickly i can change that just a little bit of modification a little bit of reminding a little bit of context and it's gone but it's never usually like that it's usually behaviors that are surrounded by thoughts that are surrounded by past experiences that are surrounded by a lot of stuff and moving away from that is what makes it inherently more complicated okay so it's almost like people work past through some maybe some past issues or pains in their life. That yeah, kind of- I mean it's not even pain. Sometimes it's just it's stuff. Like it's the the stuff that we accumulate through life, the way that we see things. Um, you know, sometimes I'll sit in my class and I'll just be like, "Listen, some of you don't even like me right now. You don't you don't, you never met me before. You don't know me, but there's just something about me that you don't like." Like even, and then they shake their head. They're like, yeah, I do not like you. There's something, what is it? Like, and it's something there, the level of assertion, my age, the way I look. Like it's that kind of stuff that we don't even, you don't know. Uh, and that's why I said like no one really cares about you because a lot of people have their own shit that they're going through as they talk to you and have the back and forth. And it's just not remembered. It just kind of goes in one ear out the other ear. Right. Yet they can feel if there's that kind of like awkward moment where you're like, oh, I can tell that they're uncomfortable though. They don't care that. It's not like they care that you're going to, you know, bomb or whatever it is, but it's like they can feel it and it makes them less able to connect with you. Yeah. People are really good at determining if there's an uncomfortable moment. Like they can't articulate it. They can't say, oh, it was a drop in their blink rate. Their words per minute slowed down and the silence was really awkward. But they can, they know it's awkward, right? And they know stuff. And then they usually whoever started it is the source of that awkward or that uncomfortableness. And, you know, uncomfort is a, uh, it's not a great human emotion from the perspective of power and confidence and so on and so forth, but it is a very human one. I mean, it's even more powerful to explain the source of your uncomfort, but that's getting kind of like down the rabbit hole. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. So you were uh, going back to poker. Mm -hmm. You were, you were a pretty big time poker player. Yeah. Yeah most part yeah I mean and that's like I mean talk about like nonverbal communication like there it seems that there's like so much stuff going on that and none of it is verbal how how did you like implement this into that and how did it 
how did well, it's it play? interesting. It play, didn't. Yeah. So oh, okay. The, it, it sounds it's 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 one of those things like oh you must have been good at poker because of nonverbal like not really like when I started learning how to play poker I was good at poker because I put a ton of time and effort into getting better at the game. Yeah. So the game does have an incredible behavioral component, but when I was younger I didn't see the value of the behavioral component. It was only after I did the research studies on beyond tells and did all that work that I saw like, Oh wow, this is way more valuable than I ever thought. And now I have a very behavioral driven game, meaning I'm always looking for changes at the table and I believe it to be like a huge edge for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when I started, no, it's, it's kind of funny. It's, it, I didn't even look at people for the most part. That's so funny. So going back to like presentations and speakers, there's, we have a lot of listeners that, that speak. Um, mm-hmm. And what kind of advice do you have for, for those type people who maybe, you know, maybe they're great, but they're very, um, they're very rehearsed in terms of their movement on stage and you can tell that it's rehearsed. How would you get somebody like that out of that? Like, do you believe that they would actually do a better job if their body movement wasn't so rehearsed? Yeah. Like, so there, this is tricky. I mean, there's been like this drastic, uh, there's been this transformation in kind of presentation dynamics. If you look at like a presentation style of mid nineties, early 2000, you have a very composed, especially in corporate America, you have a very composed like, good evening, my name is Blake Eastman, I'm the founder of the nonverbal group. Today, I'm gonna give you three tips to change, it's very like measured and controlled. And now as we move into this more authentic style, we we don't like that. I mean, and, and w- w- when I say don't like that, everything I say when it comes to presentations, it's not from a perspective, it's very tricky. So when I'm judging a presentation or I'm watching someone speak, I'm not doing it through the lens of myself because there's certain things that I like and certain things that I don't like. And there's certain kind of speakers that I enjoy listening to and watching. So like, uh, like a Gary Vaynerchuk is my kind of style. It's my mm-hmm. style of speaking and it's what I enjoy with because it's similar to me and it's what I like. But I'm, I, I'm focusing on how that relates to the group or the dynamic, right? So let's say there's a hundred people in a room and the person's, you know, doing this authentic style and they're kind of winging it, but they're losing 70% of the audience. And I don't consider that to be effective. So a presentation is only as good as it engages its audience and makes a difference in them. So I've seen a lot of presentations where the, the speaker was a pretty good and good overall communicator, but at the end of the day, is it a memorable speech? Did it actually shift people from one action to another? Did it accomplish its goal? No. It just looks good from on a video or a scissor reel or so on and so forth. Right. So uh, w- what I have been noticing is that for the most part, if you do want one of those speeches, the rehearsal stuff doesn't really work. And I can't stand that. I can't, like personally, I have a big issue with the presentations that you know speakers will do and they do the same presentation like 185 times all across the world about whatever their book is. And it's not that I see the merit of that for them. I get that. But every group, every time you speak in front of a group of people, those people have specific issues. Those people have specific challenges. And if you could alter the speech to really speak to them and not at them, you create a way more a way more powerful bond. And um, – because the reality is, if you're just giving out information, it's way more effective to just read it, right? Like, if you're just going to say, here are the top 10 techniques, like, why do you need that in this format unless you're utilizing all the different technologies, like, you know, video or something like that? So, 
I, I definitely am on the more authentic side when I comes when it comes to giving speeches. I, I guess the best thing to do is this: uh, think of your presentation or think of your style as existing on this bell curve distribution. So if we have a bell curve, you always want to be on the right side of that distribution. So what I strive to do is if I see a bunch of people give a speech before me and I see seven of them use PowerPoints or seven of them use slides and I even had something planned, I'll be like, you know what? We're not doing slides today. And the reason why is because the other seven people before me did slides. So in order to stand out, in order to be different and more effective, you can use that use that model of thinking, what is everybody else doing and what can I do different? Because the difference is remembered and it's uh, under, it's like, oh wow, that, that was cool, that was different. Um, and then also just a lot of, a lot of people would, do, would deal so much better or deliver so much better presentations that instead of having a speech planned or rehearsed or whatever, they just had 10 talking points. Like one, this, two, and they practice those talking points. It's very difficult to get emotion to flow through if you're trying to remember lines at the same time. That's the reason why. And that's why you don't look authentic or genuine. I've seen certain like actors pull this off, but that's like a different thing. Yeah. So really, I mean, essentially you're, you're getting people to be confident with who they really are. Because like you said, if you decide last minute you're not going to do something with your presentation, that takes a lot of confidence to know that you can roll with that. But if you yeah. have, like you said, yeah. your talking points and then you're kind of just in the moment being you talking about those without going, you know, verbatim what you've rehearsed, um, you can, you can totally like nail it no matter what happens. It's, it almost gives you the confidence to like, to, to get, to make something awesome happen without, um, without having to be like, I don't want to say not prepared, but not so rigid on it having to go one specific way. Yeah. And pretty much 99% of my presentations are winged. Yeah. But you so have, your, but you have the know. preparation in terms of what your talking points are going to be. No, sometimes I don't. Really? Yeah. That's <laughs> honest to God truth. So, I mean, I gave, I gave a speech in California, like two, uh, two months ago and I start off the presentation. So first of all, the whole, I had a couple of things planned and we were in this like campsite place where the Wi-Fi was horrible and I couldn't download the videos I wanted to see. So I just basically, I said, listen, we're going to do this a little bit differently. And I gave them a whole background of my story, my bio, whatever. And then I was like, how can I help you? Yeah. And then I just sat there and we started going through Q and A and it was way more powerful than some standard, you know, presentation. I've also had changes last minute where I'm like, eh, I don't really feel like talking about this. I get bored talking about the same thing. And also, like, I'm not, I'm not advocating this. In terms of, like, public speaking, I have an, I, I was on Broadway when I was younger. Um, I have, I taught psychology for seven years, so I was teaching class. I was basically teaching 40 to 50 hours a week, which is the best uh, raw experience for presentation. So it comes naturally to me. I actually feel more in that flow state and more prepared when I don't prepare. Like it feels more organic and natural and genuine for me to do that. So it works for me. I'm not saying this works for everyone by any means. And and the reality is, is that most people just don't put in the hours to get good at it. Yeah. So they have this statement that like everybody wants to be social, but people only want to be social with the people that they want to be social with. So like everybody wants to walk in and impress a CEO or whatever, but then they won't talk to somebody at the subway or they won't try <laughs> to work on these skills elsewhere. And like presentations is the same thing. Like it's a level of comfort that, 
if you were to give a talk every day for 30 days, there's no way you're not, if you have a decent level of self-reflection, there's no way you're not going to get better over the course of that 30 days. It's just, this is not possible. Um, and yeah, I don't really work with people. I used to work a lot with speakers. I don't really work with anybody right now on a private basis. Most of our stuff's digital. Okay. So how has, um, and I want to get into that in a little bit and how people can, can find out more about you, but how has the nonverbal communication in your, in your own life, how has that attributed to building your business? Because you're using that obviously in your everyday life and then you're building a business about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, to be honest with you, it's tricky because like right now I'm not really doing so much stuff on the nonverbal group. I'm focusing on a lot of poker stuff. Actually next month I'm leaving New York city for a year and me and my girlfriend are traveling the world for a year as kind of like a break. And then when I come back to New York, I'm opening two facilities, one in New York and one in Las Vegas for nonverbal group. And one of the interesting things that keeps me in check, I feel I am a more powerful and more effective and generally happier person when I'm teaching. Yeah. So the greatest gift that nonverbal group gives me is it make when I'm involved, it makes me congruent in a way where I feel like a hypocrite if I'm up telling people to do things and I'm not doing them. So I find myself to be in the best state and shape of mind with that level of accountability that comes from owning a company and helping people with their behavior. So it, it has, it, the effect is the, the role or the status. Like that's what creates such a powerful dynamic for me. It's not the techniques, you know what I mean? Right. And you have, um, so you have two other businesses, correct? Yeah. Beyond well, Tells I mean, and- Beyond and- Tells and School of Cards are kind of the same thing. Like, so it's the progression of, my, it's really weird. It's actually the progression of my life is kind of personified in my product. So I started off, with School of Cards, and we have two online courses for poker players. Then I started with, then I started, you know, doing more behavioral stuff, and then we have Beyond Tells, which is a, a beast, a crazy three-month online training program that teaches poker players how to read other poker players. And then a year from now, probably way a little bit longer than that, like 18 months from now, we'll start creating highly robust products for Beyond uh, Nonverbal Group. Awesome, and and most of it will all be um, digital, like online classes. Yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna have primarily a lot of online stuff, but highly immersive online stuff, and then probably some live stuff here and there. And I'll do speaking again, and uh, we'll do live things where we'll set up like people will come to our facility and be recorded from multiple angles, and we'll break everything down. I'm just the the business model is gonna work in a way where I'm not gonna let people take the live courses until they do the online courses, and the reason why is like a lot of people have a lot of stuff. Sometimes I won't even work with people because I'm like, all right, like, this is nothing to do with behavior. You need some other work. And yeah. I'll refer them to like a landmark education or so- something like that. And, like this will help. Right. <laughs> and and I work with them later on. How how do you manage three different businesses? Uh, <laughs> not <laughs> not well. Um, no, I mean I have. So first of all, I mean I have I have a team of people behind me, which is which they're incredible and, and, and very valuable. So it's, it's not just me handling the three businesses and several people. Uh, I mean, that's the problem. Uh, if we want to talk about things like balance and all of that, I'm probably not the person. I mean, I've, I've worked 18 hours. I mean, I'm one of those 18 hours every day kind of people. Well, I think, um, and that's common with entrepreneurs. I mean, you know, people will ask them, how do you have balance? How do you have this? And most of them 
seek help for all of that because it's not a yeah. natural thing for you know an entrepreneur to have yeah, all of this. Yeah, it doesn't really exist. It's like it, it's what it, it's what works for you, and it's creating something that you like. And and the problem is like when you're building a company and you're so excited, you you're in your own little bubble that you can't actually see that you gain 30 pounds and you can't actually see, like sometimes you have your own blind spots, right? So um, that's what this year about is for me. Like, what do I really want my life to look like? Cause I mean, and I wouldn't trade the past seven or eight years for anything. I mean, it was a lot of ups and downs, a lot of crazy moments and not being able to make payroll because, you know, a client cancels a, a thing. Like there's everything you can imagine. Uh, if you wouldn't have like entrepreneurial war stories, I would, I would love to have those, but it builds a level of perseverance and a level of uh, creativity to get things done. But I don't know if I'd be wanting to do that for the rest of my life. Like when I was 24, 25 years old, like the prospects of like, all right, I need to make $50,000 this week or I'm screwed. Like that used to make me really excited. And I used to like kind of thrive off of that at, 31, I don't really want to do that anymore. It's not, it's just annoying. It's not like exciting. So it's just a new area of growth. And um, uh, I think the number one thing I wish I would have put in, like if I were to give myself advice, I wish I would have had some sort of daily self-reflection. I think that's the number one thing that I was missing. And, you know, I I was making the same mistakes over and over and over again because I didn't document or didn't really reflect in a way that was like actionable. And I think that would be the one thing I would tell myself, like, what did you set out to do today? What didn't you do? What's going on? And the other thing I'm doing is like making videos to myself on a daily basis. Cause I think it's really cool to have an entrepreneurial journey of yourself. Like 10 years from now, I could watch like, Oh, look at you. You didn't know anything when you were 30. That's the whole joke. I never, every year I tell myself, I didn't know anything the year prior. Yeah. It's kind so true. Well, that's how it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So these are things that you practice each day now, self-reflection, videos to yourself, that type of thing? Yeah, I'm trying to add a little bit more. I mean, not every day. I'm not good. I'm not an everyday kind of person unless I'm like highly accountable. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm starting to make my own videos to myself and just coming up with a little – I'm trying to critically think about how could I improve the next day. It leads to exponential improvement in certain areas. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And that's been – it's been working. I could do it better, of course. I, I really believe that there's a lot of um, – you know, it, it's it's very easy to say like, all right, every day when you wake up in the morning, like write something down and blah, blah. It is very difficult for myself at least to make sure that I do those kind of things unless I'm accountable. If I'm held accountable, it's easy. But if I'm not, if I'm left to my own vices, I just don't do it. So I'm yeah. trying to work on that. Yeah. No, that's so true. I, I'm huge on accountability. <laughs> yeah, it works. It does. It really does. So... For those people who who want to communicate better, if they're going to walk away with like three things from listening to this podcast, what are three 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 things you could give them? All right. So the first thing is that you need to understand that when you're communicating and when you're trying to improve your communication or any area of your life, you have to make a commitment or you have to tell yourself that you're in training right now. So you're not supposed to get it right. You're, you're supposed to be making mistakes and you're supposed to be learning from those mistakes. And in life, a lot of people get that in their business and they get that, in, but they don't get it when it comes to communication. It's like every communication needs to go. It doesn't need to go well. You just need to learn from it and improve. The second thing is you need to push your comfort zone. Most people listening to this right now, you have some sort of comfort zone when it comes to communication 
And and that's kind of like, where do you feel that little bit of anxiety? Is it at a startup or founder's dinner, you get a little anxious before giving your little spiel? Or is it when you walk into a room full of investors? Or is it when you talk to certain people at work? Like wherever you feel that little anxiousness or anxiety, you have to push it. And you have to, you know, in five to 10 days, make sure you do that same stimulus over and over and over and over again. And then the third thing is, uh, be very careful with where you get your advice from. <laughs> uh, I think that there's a lot of like I've seen I've seen people where it's like oh like you need to do this and you need to do that and everybody has their opinions. It's like my good friend Clay um, Aber, who's actually in the office right now, was just telling me he posted this thing on Facebook. Where I he's know like, Clay. Tell Clay you know hello Clay? to me. Yes. Tell, <laughs> tell him hi. Clay, are you here? Yeah. I'm on a thing with Summer Felix. Do you know Summer? He says, oh, cool. So uh, Clay anyway said, um, he was like, stop asking Facebook for design advice, right? So like people post something online and they're like, what do you think about this? And people are like, oh, I don't like these colors and I don't like this. And it's just advice that's just a bunch of opinions, but it's not from the perspective of conversion. It's not from the perspective of what is it's trying to accomplish. And then Clay was like, you know, you wouldn't go online and post your MRI results and say like, what do you, what does Facebook think of this? Do you think I have cancer? <laughs> and it's kind of true, right? Like we ask yeah. the wrong people for advice and then we take that feedback so, so seriously. So I've just, I put up a giant wall in terms of how I distill or how, I mean, I've had, I've had like internet marketing people tell me like they come in and they're like, you need to move this button here. And I'm like, okay, why? And they're like, well, you just need to. It's just standard to have this button above the field. Like they don't ask me like, what are my goals? What am I trying to accomplish? It's just like advice, 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 advice. And it's often very bad because it's not focused on you. And when it comes to communication, if you're getting blanket advice, I'm not saying that it's wrong. It could be correct, but it might not be right for you in where you're at in your life and what you're going through and what you're experiencing and so on and so on and so forth. So, you know, and the only way to really know is to videotape yourself. That's my, my fourth No, and I think that's like, that's so great. It's so uncomfortable, but there you hit one of them right there. Get uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, yeah and really watch yourself because you don't know. And I'm sure so many of your clients or people that you've worked with watch themselves and they're like, I do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I do that. Or they look at things that don't matter. I remember this one woman, she was given a presentation, a very large presentation, and I'm looking at her and I record her behavior and she's got a, a lot of stuff. And, I, and we sit down and we, I'm like, all right, we got, a, we got a long day ahead of us. And the first, I'm like, what do you think about this video? I show her five minutes of the video. And the two things she says to me is, number one, I need to lose weight. Number two, I need to get a nose job. Oh, geez. <laughs> so, and I was like, it's really interesting. Like, and then I had to kind of rip her apart a little bit. And it's like, all right, so your lens for like your presentation style, like I don't mean to be a rude or offensive, but this is not going to work. This is not going to accomplish the goals that you need to accomplish. Like your nose is fine. There's nothing wrong with your nose. And yeah, if you want to lose 20 pounds, go ahead and lose 20 pounds. But nobody notices that. You know what I mean? Like right. people aren't like Look at this fat person on stage. Like that's not what's going on in people's heads. Right. Um, yeah, and I, I don't think people do enough of that. Great stuff. I love it. We have some really great takeaways here. Where can people find out more about you and your businesses? I guess, um, I mean, nonverbalgroup.com doesn't really explain what we do anymore. It's kind of like my website like six years ago when I started it. But nonverbalgroup.com, beyondtells.com, and schoolofcards.com is kind of my uh, 
my place. Awesome. Well, we will have links to all of those in our show notes and on our blog post. Um, this was this was really interesting, Blake. Cool. <laughs> this is really cool. Glad. I love it. We kind yeah, of like cool went through a bunch of myths and turned them around. So that's really cool. Yeah. No, it's it's and I'm gonna be aggr- next year. I'm gonna be aggressively like kind of attacking this when it comes to communication. I think it's I think it's it, I've seen it do so much harm, and I and I've seen people like not get the results they want to get because they're doing these kind of things. So I, I really want to make sure people under. It sucks though because people do still look for tips, right? Like that's what everybody wants. It's like oh, what's the one yeah. I can do? But then it's like, uh, you know, the, the one thing might really create five other things that are an issue, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's that's kind of the way the world is now. You know, everybody's got an opinion or advice, quote unquote. You know, that's either going to be legit for this person, not for that person. Right. And um, I think it's just so great to, to at least open your mind to different perceptions because yeah. that might, that could be the thing that you're like, Oh my gosh, all these years I've been following this and it never felt right. And now I'm going to yeah, practice exactly. this and it's right. So, well, thank you. Awesome. Awesome. But yeah. Let me know if you need anything else and uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's Get Genius. You can learn more about The Draw Shop at www.thedrawshop.com, on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Your home for kick-butt custom whiteboard marketing videos. Your ideas come to life. Thanks for listening. Please share, comment, and make any suggestions for future genius guests. 